Our gospel lesson on this day is from the 15th chapter of John, starting in verse 9. Jesus speaks, As the Father has loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I give you these commandments so that you can love each other. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever done something one way your entire life and then you're taught or told to do the exact opposite thing? This experience is difficult, to say the least. As a baseball player, I have been taught growing up to de-emphasize fly balls and to focus on hitting line drives and grounders. Make them make a play on it, was the emphasis of my coaches. So my swing was calibrated to hit down on the ball, aiming for the middle. This would produce topspin, resulting in line drives or ground balls. Then in high school, various hitting coaches started encouraging me to hit for maximum backspin, to hit the bottom of the ball. This would increase how far the ball would travel, and I could never quite get the hang of it. My muscles and technique were so accustomed to the former way I understood the concept, but it was difficult to practice. As a singer, I was always taught to take deep breaths or to breathe from your diaphragm, they would always say. But this didn't make any sense until I finally began to understand that this meant breathing from what feels like my belly. Breathing like this is not natural. When the doctor tells you to take a deep breath, when you go into the office, they're always putting the stethoscope right on your chest, on your lung area. It took years of practice to breathe correctly for singing in ways that could sustain my voice and help it last long enough for an entire phrase. This was easy to understand, but tough to put into practice. I remember learning how to write a thesis statement or introduction paragraph in elementary school. We learned what's called a preview thesis. We were to write the three main points we'd make in each of our three paragraphs of the body of the essay. This was drilled into us hard, most likely so we could pass the standardized test. Then in my sophomore year of high school, our teacher said she never wanted to see one of those kind of thesis statements again. And I had literally been writing this, using this technique my entire school life, and now I had to change it entirely. It took the better part of a year to understand how I might rethink a thesis statement. I understood the concept, but it was quite hard to practice. In our gospel lesson today, it is pretty easy to understand what Jesus is saying. It boils down to this, love each other. There doesn't need to be much explanation about that. 
The hard part, however, is putting this into practice. And as I studied it this week, I found myself asking, shouldn't this be easy? And finding that the harder I try to love, however, it doesn't really help. When Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message, he wrote, if you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. Intimately at home in my love. Here's what we see in this scripture that John helps us to understand about God. There is a circular movement within the essence of God, a giving and receiving that is always in motion. Jesus receives from the Father and gives the Father glory. Jesus gives to us his life, and we respond by giving our lives back to him. There is reciprocity and motion within this relationship with God. Steve Harper, in his work, The Five Marks of a Methodist, writes that when reflecting on John Wesley, that the first mark of discipleship isn't a call to increase our love, but to receive God's love. The ability to love God comes from God. In other words, we don't have to conjure up our feelings for God. We don't have to work really hard at loving God. No, we receive the ability to love God from God. The Holy Spirit works within our hearts, initiating a love for God. It is a circular pattern, a divine dance, in which we are invited up and caught up in. This love that we receive from God and that we are then able to offer each other is a different quality of love. This kind of love is what is known in the Greek as agape. Steve Harper again writes, This quality of love is based in the lover, not in the one being loved. In fact, the other person may not be very lovable. The other person may not be wanting our love, or at least not appearing to do so. But with agape, we love anyway. End quote. I think this is why the idea of loving each other is so very difficult. We often think about love as something that is mutually beneficial. I get something as the lover from the one I love. An agape type of love, however, I love because I am a person of love even when the recipient of the love does not want the love or doesn't deserve the love. In agape, when Jesus tells us to love everyone, all means all. In 1958, while reflecting on the events of Montgomery the year prior, Martin Luther King wrote an essay called An Experiment in Love. In it, he reflects intently upon agape love. He writes, agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people, or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. It is an entirely neighbor-regarding concern for others, which discovers the neighbor in every man it meets. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friends and enemy. It is directed toward both. If one loves an individual merely on account of his friendliness, he loves him for the sake of the benefits to be gained from the friendship, rather than for the friend's own sake, end quote. This powerful understanding of love is what empowered King and the civil rights movement to hope, persevere, and to not fight hate with more hate. This is what is difficult about practicing the love Jesus is talking about. We have been taught to love people for the benefits we get from the people. On this Mother's Day, many of us remember writing cards to our mothers that praise them for how much they did for me or for us. And while this is true, we should also be thanking our moms 
for simply being who they are. In agape love, we love others because they are made in the image of God. Easy to understand, tough to practice. As Jesus continues to describe this love that we are caught up in, he does something very interesting then. He calls the disciples friends. We are no longer servants, he says, but friends. This is how the message says it. I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. We are in with Jesus. And because we are in with Jesus, we are in with God. Early Christian theologians often referred to the Trinity as the divine dance, this interconnected personhood that involves mutual give and take. If you look up Scott Erickson's painting, The Trinity, or you see it in our sanctuary back there, you see this same interrelated Trinitarian activity of God. When Jesus calls us his friends, he is letting us in on the same knowledge and love that he has with the Father and the Spirit. He is inviting us into the dance. This dance is extremely compelling to join. It's mesmerizing, like watching a scene from a 17th century ball where everyone knows the steps and moves along. Being Jesus' friend, however, also carries a sense of responsibility. I wonder, what does it mean for us to have the responsibility of being Jesus' friend? seems like then we have to do something with this love that we are receiving. This love has to be extended out into the world, inviting others to join the dance. It means that we see others and are willing to give our lives for them. It's the reality of receiving agape love and then giving agape love. Frank Laubach, a theologian in the mid-20th century, would ask God this prayer every single morning. Lord, what are you doing in the world today that I can help with? Hear that again. Lord, what are you doing in the world today that I can help with? It's a prayer of immense significance and humility. In this prayer, we recognize the significance and responsibility that we have. We are invited into God's work in the world. Your life is significant. Every day of it is significant, even when you don't feel like it. This prayer, however, is also humble. For we cannot do all of the things that God is doing in the world. So how are you called to help? In what way can your particular gifts and your particular location and, and your time be of use for God? This is the responsibility of being Jesus' friend. We aren't just in the God club. No, we are a club of constant self-giving where we can always draw from this deep well of love. When we talk about love and reflect on it in the way that Jesus describes here, I start singing the one song by the band Boston that we all might know. It's more than a feeling. And I start doing that in my head. Love is way more than a feeling of butterflies. Love is a verb. So love is something that is enacted and practiced. In the book of 1 John, it seems like the author of John's gospel riffs upon the teachings of Jesus in the gospel and describes how they, they are to be lived out in community. The words of 1 John 4, 19 and 20 ring so true. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, 
he is a liar, because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who, can't, who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. We love because God first loved us. We are branches off of the true vine. God's love is what we received and what enables us to love God in return and to love each other. In today's passage, Jesus says that he has appointed us to produce fruit that will last. This lasting fruit is love. This love that we then offer to each other is not just a nice sentiment. It is actually the love of God through us. This is what it means to be dancing with God. But this love is not possible on our own. Steve Harper says it this way, it doesn't take very long for us to realize that this isn't a natural love. It is supernatural. Left to ourselves, we will love those whom we think are lovely. We will love others as long as they love us in return. Friends, we need the love of God pulsing through our veins so that we can be that love of God to others. We need the love of God because we recognize that we were unlovable, but God still loved us. And there are people in our lives who are unlovable, but God loves them through us. Here's where we want to get to, walking with, dancing with Jesus so closely that our hearts and minds and bodies are conditioned to love. Even when we don't naturally love like this, Jesus is saying that we can, and this is how his friends love. In that same essay, An Experiment in Love, Martin Luther King Jr. reflected upon the importance of nonviolence. I share these words so you can hear the practice of the love of God in action. He writes, I stress that the use of violence in our struggle would be both impractical and immoral. To meet hate with retaliatory hate would do nothing but intensify the existence of evil in the universe. Hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Admittedly, nonviolence in the truest sense is not a strategy that one uses simply because it is expedient at the moment. Nonviolence is ultimately a way of life that men live by because of the sheer morality of its claim. End quote. Nonviolence was a philosophy that King held to not because it was expedient, but because it is right. It is rooted in agape love and the ability to try and see the image of God even in one's oppressor. This action of love is a practice. It takes us years and years, hopefully resulting in a lifetime where the practice of love becomes second nature to us. Practice love, my friends. Practice love every single day. Practice love with people whom you do not naturally love. Perhaps this is the call of the church in the world today to figure out how to practice love with one another in a world where we only love the people who give us something in return. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.